We've talked about weather and social media a number of times on Weather Hype, but we wanted to shift gears just a bit and talk about social media and how the weather enterprise uses it. We've seen social networks change and evolve over time, and so have organizations like the National Weather Service in terms of how they take to platforms like Facebook and Twitter to communicate weather and climate information. Today, we're taking a little deeper dive into how the NWS uses Twitter. We're also looking at specific examples from weather forecast offices all across the country of how they present information and discuss best practices and what's effective when it comes to social media messaging to the public. Stay tuned, because Weather Hype is coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm when I get gone, I get gone And I don't need any wrong to know better Good day, Castle. How are you? Hello, sir. <laughs> I wonder if we'll ever get tired of bringing in the podcast in like weird accents. I, have we done that before? I don't remember. We definitely have. Oh, okay. I, you literally said like, hello, sir. Oh, well, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry. We're trying to be cool and, and, and hip, but the redundancy, I'm sure, is very annoying. I think it's, it's different because we do this like once a month, but they have access to us like immediately if that makes sense so like they can listen between episodes and it seems more recent to them than it does to us oh so i'm sure like, like they binge listen yeah or even if they like oh i forgot to listen so i'm listening to two in a row or something then oh, sure. it seemed like what we don't remember doing they're like uh these weirdos just did that in the previous episode <laughs> so i could see and we don't remember yeah no it's like, wow that was like that was like two years ago, but like to them, it could have been like last week. Yeah, exactly. They could listen to like episode two last week. Whoa, you know? that's so weird. <laughs> it's like what a traveling in time. <laughs> oh my gosh, right. Anyway, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm well on yourself. I'm okay. I'm like mentally bracing for like hell to freeze yeah, over. That's how I describe it. It looks super exciting. Yeah, so <laughs> it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow. And then tomorrow night, I think it's going to drop into like the mid 20s and start snowing. And then Thursday, the high is going to be like 32 and the low is going to be like 11. Woo! So it's literally going to drop in like a span of 24 hours from like 80 degrees to like maybe like 10. That has to That's be like, like is that a degree. record? Like I mean, temperature it, change? it's going to be a it's going to be a record low, mm. but I don't think it's going to be a record. It might be a record temperature change for like Denver for that day. Yeah, that day. But I know like for the United States, a lot of times, um, you know, they'll have like uh, stratospheric air from the stratosphere. When storms are happening, you can pull warm air from the stratosphere. So sometimes <laughs> with like a downburst, temperatures like heat up really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think some places have had like temperatures rise like 50 60 degrees in like a span of not maybe like minutes but maybe like an hour or something or sometimes you have like a record high of 90 and then it like drops to like zero degrees because a crazy cold front comes uh, through that happens uh -huh. in the plains i think like the dakotas and stuff so not quite the record but a record for me i don't think i've <laughs> unless i've flown on an airplane i don't uh -huh. think i've experienced like that extreme of a drop in one location like ever in my life but 
it's not like completely unusual for Denver from what I hear from people who've lived here for longer. Hmm. So we shall see. Yeah. At least you'll get to experience it and just put it in your record book. Yeah. <laughs> Men's, <laughs> Men's book of world records. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah. I'm assuming the weather in Georgia is finally cooling off after like consecutive it, record highs and a heat wave yeah it was it's kind of it's not as drastic as your temperature change but it was a very obvious difference between last friday and last saturday so um we had the good old fr- our good old friend the wedge came for a visit um <laughs> hello wedge and brought like absolutely amazing temperatures and like cloudy some sprinkly sprinkles sprinkly sprinkles <laughs> and <laughs> i don't know why i said that that's cute and it was just it was great uh we had a nice weekend we went hiking a bit in athens um because it was a little bit bearable um but yeah it's been great so far and ever since then it's been a nice cool fall like temperatures but i have a feeling that soon we're gonna get back up into the 80s yeah but it's been really nice been enjoying it the fall and the spring in the south, or maybe even just everywhere at this point, um, it seems like it doesn't stay consistent, like, temperature, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you expect in the winter and the summer most of the time for it to stay hot or cold, but, like, in the fall and winter, it's, like, such a roller coaster. And then all of a sudden, winter hits, and you're like, oh, yeah. hello. Um, I mean, because here, it's going to be, like, 11 degrees, but by the time, like, Saturday, Sunday rolls around, it'll be back in the 60s. So, you know, it's not going to stay cold for too long before it gets warm again. So... Uh, the poor trees, though. I'm sad that they're all going to die. Yeah, that is very sad. They're not going to die, but the leaves are going to die. My plants are going to die. I got to bring them inside. Uh, save anyway. the plants. I know. Save the herbs. The herbs. And by herbs, I mean mint and basil. The not herbs. other. Not her. Yeah. Not the other herbs <laughs> that people might use in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, you know, so I was looking on Twitter last week i think and a lot of times when we come up with weather hype podcast episode ideas we you know take some inspiration from what we see and twitter uh things that we see on twitter kind of inspire us sometimes so this episode was kind of inspired by a tweet i saw from our friend trevor who works at the um nws las vegas office and he was kind of talking about how there's a stigma of if you use social media as like an official entity or a government agency or something, um, there's like a stigma that if you're you really like you add personality to your tweet, it might come off as like really unprofessional, doesn't have a good look. Um, but his argument in one of his tweets was, you know, tell me again how adding personality to a tweet is unprofessional and doesn't help engagement or awareness to the forecast perfectly fine tweet and he he provides an example from the nws birmingham office and kind of compares how one does well and the other one doesn't do as well and so there was a lot of conversation about that and that kind of made me think in my day-to-day life you know in my work job at fema i do social media for our regional office and um kind of thinking about what he said and was kind of wondering um you know what how people feel about those kind of tweets if there's like more humor or more personality is it something that people like to see or they don't like to see and i think the numbers kind of show that maybe this is a good thing potentially um just like before we go into it do you have any thoughts on that of of what you personally like to see when you're on twitter and looking at weather messaging 
Um, I think it depends. So if it's kind of one of these, kind of like Trevor's, uh, his tweet was about a tweet that NWS Birmingham did about kind of just like hot temperatures. Um, so not really anything extremely threatening or like life threatening in the moment. So I think, I think that humor can have a place, a time and a place. Um, I don't think it's always suitable for every weather hazard or every weather situation, but I think that it does lead to more engagement because people, it's kind of like meeting people at their level, right? You can, uh, you can kind of engage with them because they connect with you or they connect with your tweet on a personal level. And they're like, Oh, I know that song or that's a funny joke, or I've heard that joke before, or, you know, or I know that cute reference or whatever. So when you, you, when you, you, when you're able to connect to someone in that way, it's more likely that you're going to be able to create some sort of personal connection or engagement with them because you are physically engaging with them in that little spark of a moment of, Oh, we share something in common, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that is kind of my initial takeaway of using humor and personality, as Trevor calls it, in some of these tweets. But again, I think there is a time and place for it. And I'm curious how that, if there may be any carryover effects to when there is a kind of a more threatening situation. But we can sure. get into that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I kind of went through some NWS um, Twitter accounts. There's a nice Twitter list that somebody created that I subscribed to. And so I kind of went through there to see what I could find um, as examples. And so for the not so great examples, I won't name the office, but I will read the tweet. Um, <laughs> and this isn't to to make fun of anybody or, you know, to put anyone on blast. Like I'm not trying to necessarily criticize anybody because I'm not a professional at this either but um, I just wanted to maybe bring up some example tweets that I thought were kind of interesting and I'll let you guys decide what you think about it Um, so this first tweet um, was from a few weeks ago and an office tweeted quote unquote (laughs) on this date in 1736 Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit died at the age of 50 He invented the mercury thermometer and the Fahrenheit scale. You know what won't die anytime soon? This darn heat. More 90s tomorrow. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It is funny. I think it's kind of humorous, but I don't know. I don't know if the whole like... It's death is kind of hard to... Yeah. Yeah, like, hey, he died. He is 50, but, like, this heat is not going to die anytime soon. Like, I get what they were doing, but it it, it almost comes off as, like, a little distasteful. I don't know. I don't know. Is it, like, can we use the joke, like, too soon? Is it too soon to talk about him dying? But he died in 1736, so, like, that was a while ago. I, I think, to me, <laughs> I think the problem is that what, uh, hot temperatures don't die. And that's me being, like, very literal, but... <laughs> But I just feel like the connection isn't quite there. Like it's it's kind of like they jumped for it, made a jump, and didn't quite stick the landing. That and it just doesn't <laughs> quite connect with me. And I think it's supposed to be humorous. I just don't think it gets there. Yeah, I guess like that kind of humor makes sense because it's like something colloquial. I would say to you, like, man, this he just won't freaking die. Like, he just won't go away. I've never heard that. Um, Have you heard that before? 
I may have said that before, actually. Just being like, oh my god, this just won't die. I mean, I, I think I would say go so away instead of die. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit went away on this date in 1736. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, don't know. yeah. I mean, anyway. judging from the engagement of it, it didn't land. It did okay. I mean... 10 retweets and 26 likes isn't terrible. Do you want to talk about example number two? Sure, let me scroll down to it. Okay, again, not including the source. Wow, this font is really (laughs) small. Um, Okay, it says, I found this little guy in the yard. Hashtag woolly bear. Hashtag folklore. The wider the middle brown band is associated with a milder upcoming winter. The longer the black bands, the longer, snowier, and more severe winter will be. Hashtag winter is coming. Hashtag. That's all the hashtags I'm going to say. Because <laughs> you'll give it away. Yeah. So my initial thought on this one, and, and somebody actually sent this to, to me. I think it's it's cute. And I guess like they do say it's folklore. But to me, I wonder like, is it too much like, I mean, because you're like a weather office and you're talking about folklore. Mm. And this has nothing to do with actual meteorology and you're like promoting like a, what's that? A wise, not a wise tale, but like, um, you know, you're, you're promoting something that's like mythical. Yeah. Is that a problem or is it not a problem? I don't know. Cause like in this message, while they do preface it with, it is a folklore about the woolly bear. There is no anything like, well, in actuality, like this is what we're thinking, mm, you know? I see. I would I'm curious how long the brown band actually was. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell um, in the photo. It looks to be about an inch now that I have it blown up to 300%. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm not sure what that like there's no translation, right, of what that means. Um, I think it just means that if one color is longer than the other, that's what it means and vice um, versa. But it would be curious. I would be it would be interesting. I think this could be like more of a blog topic. Like, yeah. it would be cool to start off with this, to, like, hook the reader and then talk yeah. about, like, the upcoming winter and, like, what the models are saying and, like, what is expected and how it compares and contrasts and then kind of finish it off with, well, this little guy might be better than we thought or, you know, like, sure. throw him out. It has nothing to do with this. Um, just, like, something cutesy that kind of hooks people but also teaches them something at the same time through a story. Yeah. Um, but right. I think it's really hard to do that through this medium. I mean, so. I guess the only thing I would recommend if they were to do that would be to add on subsequent tweets to make it into a Twitter thread. Yes. And talk about it yeah. further and then say, you know, this is what we're looking at with our, you know, long range seasonal forecast kind of thing. Um, and because it's kind of like if you just had one tweet and you said, oh, looks like the groundhog said it's going to be a long winter. Right. Yeah. And then you just end it right there. It's kind of like, oh, Okay. All right, Farmer's Almanac, here we go, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I just thought it was really interesting, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know if anybody else has any other perspectives on that. There's an example in here from an office and a lot of them do it, but I'm kind of curious to, to know if, if people think it's effective or not. So a lot of times radar or, um, offices will post like a ro- radar mosaic mm-hmm. of their you know CWA, their county warning area to show you know, where the precipitation is. Um, to me, I don't feel like it does very well. 
there's not that much engagement on it because the radar display doesn't look great from the website, even if you put it on loop. Like, I'd rather look at a clean radar that takes out all of the other scattering and whatnot and it looks more clean, yeah. like from a TV news station or from like my radar app on my phone kind of thing. Um, a lot of times when I'm looking at the, the radar display from the NWS, it looks really rough. Like, I can't tell what's going on and there's so many county lines and like highway map icons and stuff like it, it's really hard to look at it kind of thing hmm that would be a good question for our friend michelle um very fair. it's just uh it's interesting this tweet i think in particular because i think it would be more beneficial well now now i'm seeing some radar some storms popping up in like the south part um but it almost seems like most of it's to the north and it i think they're picking up all the fuzz because they're using a different uh, like oh you're talking about like radar uh scan tilting? yeah yeah like scan tilt that would be what i'm guessing because that's a lot of fuzz for in the middle of the day it is so they, they did ex- try to explain in the tweet though they said it's I like know, non-meteorological yeah. targets but that doesn't really mean anything to anybody if you're looking no. at it you're like oh here's some rain but here's some like blue fuzz that's like really distracting and it's like it, your eye immediately goes to it it's like yeah. oh god there's a whole snowstorm <laughs> it is you know what i mean though it's just yeah uh, oh yeah there are, there has to be a better way to convey that sure but i'm um, glad that they explained it at least instead of that is good having, um it just be like oh snow <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of like the summer <laughs> yeah um and the last example that i have of something that is interesting to me is an office was talking about some of the record high temperatures that they had last week. And one of their um, radar or um, temperature um, station sites recorded a really high temperature um, and a lot of fluctuations going back up and down from like the low 100s back to the upper 90s, back to like 100. And so they said, we're not really sure what's happening with this, but just FYI, we might want to be cautious if we're looking at the high temperature for the day based on the station. So different parts to this tweet i think if you're telling people that and you're you're like messaging that like that's great because you're transparent Mm -hmm. but is that are you being too transparent i didn't include the comment section for this tweet but the comment section was there were a lot of people who were really confused because they were like okay if we're going to try to use you know talk about the daily high and the record high do we use the information or do we not use the information but if you're a broadcaster or if you're you know somebody who wants to tweet out hey like we broke the all-time record high today right then are you what are you supposed to do say oh you know this might be messed up instrumentation you know use it at your will but like that doesn't really tell anybody what they actually should do use it or not use it this one's tough i do applaud them for being transparent and talking about it my initial reaction was i don't know why we need to talk about it today anyway can't we wait till we get some clarity but you bring up a good point that that was the major news story of that particular time and place was that, oh, we're hitting all these new records today. And so I'm sure that they wanted to talk about it on like the six o'clock news of like, we hit this number today in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see why it was probably getting more attention than it needed to that day. I think I would side with what they did. This is a discussion, right? Because, like, I don't want to be like, oh, like, that's terrible. Like, how could you tweet that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And be like, if, I, if it were me, I'd do this. But 
I think it's like a good discussion point just for people to understand like how complex it can be to post stuff on Twitter and like kind of some of the the uh, decisions you have to make before you hit the send button. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one because I think it's also especially tough because it's like climate data. So like yeah. being careful how you phrase things and continue the conversation around it being climate data um, and how yeah. people may interpret that as being not not having consensus or not like it being accurate. Um, so that yeah. could be a challenge too. But yeah, I, I think if it were me and I were like a consultant telling them like what to do or what not to do, I I always go for transparency. It's my, yeah. uh, it, it always helps with building trust, maintaining trust. And uh, so I think that's what I would do. So those are some of the more like interesting examples, but there's some good ones that I'm going to gloss over real quick. The use of emojis has really taken off with the um, different NWS offices. So, you know, there's some graphics from the uh, NWS Nashville and I can use the uh, WFO now because we're not saying necessarily good or bad things. Well, good things. Um, (laughs) So the NWS Nashville has like an emoji cast where they have like um, a uh, temperature, seven day high temperature forecast and they put emojis that depending on what the conditions are and so they use like um flames for like 96 degrees but as it cools off they have like some uh praise hand emojis <laughs> <laughs> so i thought that was kind of cute and it got really good engagement um and then using the emojis inside of the actual text themselves uh, when you're tweeting out um i kind of started doing that for me personally just to bullet out the different things so if you're gonna have like three or four bullet statements in your tweet text you can use an emoji to kind of bullet everything out um so that looks a little bit more clean versus like having one big paragraph in your tweet you know what i mean yeah i will say though like when some people do that and i see it from the same source i tend to flip by it really quick being like oh i read that already and Mm. one time i did that last week and i was like oh it's an actually a different message but i immediately flipped past it and was like wait and actually went back and looked and realized it was a different message oh because you thought somebody else it was like a, a message that was being retweeted yeah by somebody else but yeah in, in actuality it was just somebody else doing the same format yep oh, okay gotcha. so it was so i that may be something to think about moving forward is like the the way i don't know if that makes sense what i just said but like the way that we're using emojis may come across as being too uniform with other people or something to that extent where it's like is it actually something different and do i need to stop and look at it if they're always bulleted out with the emojis if that makes yeah. sense that's fair that's a good point um how do you feel about puns Ugh, i'm not a pun person but that's just a, a <laughs> bias that i have so i know that on like national cheese day you're kind of like rolling your eyes at some of the nws tweets about like having a gouda day and yeah like all the other cheese stuff have have already i think <laughs> you're like oh i was like this is kind of funny um so in last week was national taco day and i had tweeted from our account for fema about like you know i think we should talk about you know winter driving conditions because winter snowstorms were moving into our area so the nws retweeted us and said we have no beef with this tweet in fact let us help you know, just in case, oh, dot, dot, dot. And I just thought that was so funny. Um, and that one got a lot of um, reaction and engagement on that tweet from the NWS and on our tweet as well. 
Um, so I thought that was kind of fun, but I know not everyone is a fan of puns. So it's kind of like, when do you get to be really funny and do the pros outweigh the cons, you know, with using humor in that way? And I think it would be, I would be curious to know how many people actually clicked on the link because of it. Like, sure, it's easy to retweet or to hit the like button, but because there was this clever way of incorporating taco related lingo how (laughs) (laughs) how much how much more popular was the weather.gov backslash winter website that day or how many hits did it get as a result of this tweet that's what i would be curious to know because i think that would be more telling of the lasting impacts of this tweet versus was it yeah seen by a lot of people you know sure that makes sense um you know and i reached out to some friends at the nws and hopefully they can get back to me maybe we can interview them to kind of talk about this a little bit more and and get some more insight on on what they do and and what the uh the numbers look like to see if it warrants what they do because we don't have that information with us at one point i did an internship yeah i was gonna uh, say at one point you might have Yeah, at one point I was getting able to look at some of the data and and kind of um, came and, you know, looked at uh, the information, did some research and kind of showed which posts were doing well, which ones weren't doing well. I remember I had suggested that if you're going to post a video, like a turnaround, don't drown kind of video, it's best not to waste the first like four or five seconds on like the logo or like the name of your organization. You can put that at the end of it. You should just start at that video to get people's attention because then they'll watch. Because if you just have like your logo flashing or spinning or whatever at the beginning, it doesn't, people are just going to keep scrolling past it because they don't really see anything that's going to capture their attention. So that was my recommendation also to put captions on videos too is really important to make sure that you're accessible to everybody who may not be able to listen to it. But yeah, I mean, I've been seeing really good examples from different offices. So the office in Las Vegas, um, I think that Trevor kind of works on for social. Um, they have really cool graphics. Have you seen them? Like, um, I'm just looking at them now. They're really cool, though. I like do like them. They're very graphic. Yeah, like the freeze warning. They have like a heat advisory one. They have like a wind advisory one. I think for probably every uh, type of hazard that they face out there. I'm kind of wondering who makes them because they look really good. They look really clean. They're really social media friendly because the words are really large. Um, there aren't that many words on them. And if they are, they're pretty relevant to what the, you know, the advisory is saying. I think that's a really good depiction. And I kind of wonder what the process is of developing those graphics and if they have to be vetted before yeah, that's what I was they say. go out kind of thing. The vetting process um, would be interesting. Yeah, because at one point I was working again in that internship developing NWS graphics and like the, the complete novice that I am, like they weren't. Now I look back at them, I'm like, eh, they weren't great. Some of them were kind of funky. But they have, I think, since invested, after I left the internship, they invested and in, in, um, brought on graphic designers who um, are able to design the stuff. So I, there was an example from the NWS Bismarck office, and they're talking about winter travel and having your car prepared. So that is a graphic developed at headquarters because it's on all the um, headquarters websites and on the Weather Ready Nation website oh, nice. for winter safety. And so those type of graphics I've been seeing more and more, and they look really good. And I think I know who's working on them, but I won't call them out right now. But I think they look great. And I'm starting to see them being used more and more often. I believe there's a like library, like a media library for the NWS to pull graphics and stuff from. So that is like something that they can pull and use. 
But the one that was developed in Las Vegas, I'm really curious to know if that was something that was just developed in the office or if there was like um, some approval that they had to go through or things like that sort. I think, yeah, they do look really great. I do wish that the the copy in the tweet itself was more action oriented. Yeah, that's instead fair. of review these road safety tips and be prepared. Like I wish there was something like more action oriented. Yeah, um, because oftentimes I feel like the action is put into the graphic, and I'm not sure if that's always translated to the person. And kind of looking at all these different graphics and stuff, it reminded me of a presentation. Um, I think it was actually a poster that I went to at the AMS meeting in in Atlanta back in 2014 when I talked to a uh, meteorologist at the Key West office. And he was kind of talking to us about um, the different uh, graphical forecast products that he came out with um, for their office. And I'll read a little blurb from his abstract. But it says, effective graphics should follow several proven rules, including the appropriate signal-to-noise ratio, proper use of empty space, aesthetic balance, and um, simplicity. And so the graphics that he showed us were really nice and clean, and it kind of mimicked the broadcast meteorology kind of field um, with like the different forecast boxes, high and low temperatures. Um, and that's something I think at that time, because it was like about five years ago, um, at that time, I was like, wow, this looks really clean, looks really good. But I th- And he said that other offices were trying to adopt a similar format and looking at their methodology and how they created it. Um, I don't know if, if that exact example went um, beyond Key West in, in a wide way. I, I don't know if a lot of offices were using it, but I thought it was a really good start to making the NWS graphics a little bit more user-friendly and looking a little bit more clean and simple, kind of like what our broadcast uh, broadcast friends do in, in their uh, business every day. But you know how about like um, how the private sector kind of doesn't want the NWS to infringe on them. So yes, yes, yes. when NWS kind of has like nice graphics that kind of mimic the private sector look, mm-hmm. then people, then there could be like a little bit of a... Uh, angst between them kind of thing sure yeah or a concern yeah they seem like there may be a concern or an overlap of kind of their services like the private sector may feel like they bring kind of this communication or this graphical angle or element to kind of their products and their information so they take kind of the baseline or ground level foundational weather information that the national weather service provides and they kind of kick it up a notch Um, for their clients and their partners. Um, And so I could definitely see how this may come across as invading in their territory. But at the same time, if we're all kind of moving toward a common goal of protecting life and property, and we're doing that by being clean in the way that we're conveying information, then I don't see anything wrong with that personally. But also, I'm not a business and I don't have anything to lose (laughs) by saying that. So it's hard for me to have the same, I guess, understanding or motivation behind wanting to be different. I just think, I think personally, it's great to see the NWS starting to take some of these suggestions and incorporating them. Um, I think that is a really great steps forward that I like seeing, Um, especially because I, I think their social media game was initially just created to reach people because that's where people were going, you know? So they didn't really have a lot of expertise in that medium or that format. And so they've really had to adapt themselves 
and really work hard to figure out ways to do it correctly. And so I think these are all great examples of ways that they're moving forward with that and trying to promote different ways of reaching people. So I think that's great. Um, and, you know, we talked about how the NWS has evolved a little bit, how they've used some humor in some of their um, posts or some more personality, too. And, you know, we talked about it, Castle, you and I, about how we had brought, brought up this example, like, way, way, a few years ago on Mother Hype about using humor in social media. And so I do want to bring up this example again. Back in 2015, there was a research study looking at the CDC and how they use a, like, um, surviving a zombie apocalypse 101 um, kind of campaign. And they use that to get people um, more aware and understanding of uh, some kind of medical thing with the CDC. It might have been, like, um, just preparing for disasters or, or yeah. something. I think that's um, but I thought it was really interesting because the findings of that study, the research study showed that while social media can spread the information out to a wide number of people, um, the people who, the participants in the study who received the funny zombie risk messaging reported significantly weaker intentions to take protective action in comparison to those who received the traditional non-humorous risk message. Um, that's just from the abstract. I didn't pull up the actual article this time, but just thought that's something to kind of ruminate, kind of think about, you know, um, is it funny and is it getting a lot of likes and retweets and clicks? Yes or no. But then also what really matters is are people actually taking that preventative action? Are they, do they have the intention of, of doing that? You know, whether it's to make to build a disaster kit for your home or mm -hmm. whatever, um, it's kind of hard to gauge that unless you kind of do more of that academic research or you do some kind of focus group or something like that. But analytics from a uh, Twitter post isn't going to tell the whole story. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's kind of really when you kind of boil down this episode or kind of what we're talking about is basically how motivating is the use of humor in tweets? Um, I think that's kind of like what we're really discussing. So I think it's really great that you brought up this article in particular because it really gets at that question, right? It, it asks, is humor powerful or, or not in kind of creating uh, behavioral intentions to act or take protective action? Um, and so through this experiment, they actually did that. And like you said, they showed that those who received the humorous risk message were less likely to take protective action. So I think when we kind of bring these results to our tweets and the weather enterprise that we've been kind of been talking about uh, two questions come up one do we always want them to take some sort of action when we're using humor as a as a message cue and two I think an, another really important question that this zombie study doesn't ask is how is trust affected when humor is used and I kind of hinted at this at the beginning of the episode, but like, are there any carryover effects as a result of using humor? And that priority number one being trust. So like, do people feel like our information is trustworthy when it's used in a humorous way? Um, not saying this isn't a criticism of this at all. It's just an honest research question. Like, I don't know the answer to it. It just makes me think that if humor is used, I feel like it could, it could go two ways, right? It could feel like I'm actually connecting with the person and this feels like something really cool that we're both on the same page about. And so my trust goes up because of that. Or I feel like for some people, it could be like, 
what are they doing? They're supposed to be a government organization and they're here talking about tacos and beef and queso. How am I supposed to receive weather information from them and have a safe mind acting on it? Um, so I could see trust going down in that instance. Um, so I think it could really go both ways. And so I'm really curious if anyone has ever done research on this. I'm sure they have. Um, humor is highly researched in the communication world. But it just makes that's the biggest question that I have on my mind is about trust. And if there are any carryover effects, even when there's no like threat, really. And we use kind of these funny tweets when it's just hot outside or we're just trying to tell people that it's kind of run of the mill, sunny weather. But I'm curious whether there are carryover effects as a result of this humor. I would love for somebody to do some research into that. Just looking at like social media within the weather enterprise or the emergency management world to see how well these things are doing. I have my own information. Obviously, I can't really share that with people. Um, but I wonder if there's a more formal way of looking at it, if that's something that could be done. Because I know I did it on a small level for the NWS um, headquarters account back in 2016. But I wonder if that's something that's being looked at now. And that might be a question for some of our National Weather Service social media team people too, because they probably analyze it at you know in some ways. But I wonder if there's more of a larger effort to kind of look at everything together. Yes, but I hope that they do look more into that. And I think it's also, this is a great opportunity for calm professors or calm students or communication studies individuals mm -hmm. to reach out to National Weather Service individuals and emergency managers and work with them to analyze their messages and to kind of determine how some of these things work and help create some best practices so that we can kind of really put this work to good use and kind of transitioning this research to operations or best practices for communicating yeah. via social media. So speaking of that and best practices, so when we kind of talked about and you kind of pitched this idea to me, it really, it reminded me of a presentation that I saw at AMS two years ago with Jeanette Sutton and a few other people. And actually the article that she wrote about this just published in August um, so it's very recent, um, and I just wanted to kind of talk about it because I think there are some relevant themes that kind of connect with this episode um, and also really shed some light on some really great best practices for encouraging tweets to be retweeted or to be retransmitted. Um, so I just wanted to kind of quickly go over and talk about some of those results because I think a lot of it was quite, uh, well, not shocking, but like it was, it was really interesting to me. Um, especially like some of the traits that they had analyzed about what really encourages people to hit that retweet button and what also mm -hmm. discourages people from hitting the retweet button. Um, so I will say that what initially caught my eye about the study is that they analyze not only tweets during a threatening period. So say if there's like a severe thunderstorm or if there's a tornado, um, but they also looked at tweets during non-threatening periods. Um, and I think that's what really drew me and that what made that connection in my mind, because basically what we're talking about are tweets that usually occur in those non-threatening periods. Um, and they mm -hmm. use humor as a way to connect with their audience and kind of encourage engagement. Um, so that was one of the, the big things that kind of drew me to it was this idea that they looked at tweets that were both in the threat and non-threat period. Um, but even more interesting was they, they kind of categorized and 
put themes on the different types of messages that the National Weather Service puts out. Um, and one in particular that they looked at was what they called weather facts. Um, and this is basically kind of some of the run of the mill stuff that we hear from them. Like eight years ago, there was a tornado that tore through our town and mm -hmm. we had XYZ types of damage. Um, but I also believe that the facts could also be aligned with some of the stuff that we kind of talked about in some of the tweets, like that tweet about the, the Fahrenheit dying and all that. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's a fact that they kind of talked sure. about and threw in some sure. weather forecast information. So I think that yeah. it might be categorized as this weather facts. Um, but interestingly, weather facts were very important in driving um, engagement. So they encouraged people to retweet a tweet if there was some sort of weather fact in it, um, okay. which I thought was tr kind of interesting. But more interesting yeah. was that it was in both a threat and non-threat period. Oh. Um, so I've always been a strong proponent of, I really dislike when there's like an active hurricane going on and they're like, 10 years ago, another hurricane came through here. It was XYZ. Mm -hmm. It was Bonnie or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now we're being threatened by this new hurricane in the next seven days. Like, I really, really do not like those kind of tweets personally because mm -hmm. I feel like they're distracting from the current risk and yeah. they're kind of dissociating the risk for people. Um, yeah. But... According to the study, they found that it was really helpful and beneficial because in threat periods in particular, it helped people really identify and remember and recall that experience. And it acts oh. as a way of like providing them some experience to act on. So kind of like an anchor or like a benchmark of what they sure. could do or what they should do. See, that's so interesting to me because you know how everyone's always like, Every hurricane is different. Don't compare your experience with a past hurricane to, you know, push you to do another or to prepare for this current storm or not to prepare for the current storm right. that might be threatening you. And I, I don't know if I talked about this on the previous episode, but I kind of get annoyed by that because I'm if if the coast of Georgia is going to is threatened by a storm like it kind of was during Dorian. I will use Hurricane Matthew, Hurricane Michael, Hurricane Irma. I will use yeah. all those recent examples to, to communicate the potential impact of the storm to people in Georgia. Like, they want that. If I can do it efficiently and effectively, then I will. And I, and I feel like I do. But so many times I always hear, you shouldn't do that because every storm is different and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. I was like, but if I'm not using it, I feel like I'm, I'm wasting a good opportunity mm -hmm. to talk to people about an experience that they've already felt so that they can kind of figure out. Cause most of the time I'm going to say, you know, this could be as bad as Michael or Matthew or sure. whatever. But, um, but sometimes I'll be really honest and say, you know, I don't think the storm surge will be as bad as it was during Irma, you know, like, and people can understand that because they just went through it not too long ago. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. It, it seems counterintuitive, but I think that is because to us, it seems counterintuitive to meteorologists. We kind of take personal interest in these storms and understand and feel like they're all very different creatures. But when sure. it boils down to who we're trying to communicate this to, they are basing their actions, their preparedness, everything off of previous hurricanes or previous experiences. And so I yeah. think that 
when we draw back or kind of help them recall what went happened, what they went through, it can really help fuel action um, in itself. Um, yeah. But it's still hard for me to come to grips with that because it feels very counterintuitive. It feels like, oh, you are disassociating the risk onto something else. But I think, mm-hmm. like you said, if you do it correctly and you kind of ref- reflect on like, oh, Hurricane Matthews floodwaters were this and this new hurricane is going to be higher than that. Um, kind of using it as a measuring stick to determine and provide that information to people. But I think mm-hmm. incorrectly is when it's like, oh, 10 years ago, we had this great, this terrible hurricane that went through. You know, I don't sure. think that is providing necessary benchmark information that people can use in order to make actions. It's basically just stating a fact, right? It's not helping yeah. them in the recalling process. Yeah. Interesting, man. Research is very intriguing. I know. Um, and it's and it's good to, you know, replicate experiments and, and, and research to see if that's something that is found continually and consistently, if you will. Correct. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so I mean it's giving you all the facts and all the information, but it's uh would love to discuss this with everybody on you know, social media or wherever you see me because in Sea Castle, because I think these are really important ideas that um, really go into the idea of communicating weather. And that's kind of what we, you know, try to do. So a couple more uh, quick takeaways that I thought were really interesting, um, including visual media. So some sort of photo or video or GIF um, was also related to the likelihood of passing the message on, uh, which makes sense. We've kind of talked about that previously. Um, Also using an exclamation mark in your tweets also leads to more likelihood of passing those on. But again, we need to be sparing (laughs) when using them because (laughs) if we used exclamation points all the time, they would lose their ability to fuel transmission. Do everything in caps lock, right? (laughs) Yeah. Can you believe that used to be a thing? Like it's crazy for me to like still reflect on that. It is very odd. Um, Another one that we kind of knew but didn't really know through research, um, using a hyperlink significantly reduced the likelihood of the the message being passed on in non-threat periods and didn't really have any positive or negative effects in during threat periods. Interesting. Um, Which is interesting. Um, Most hashtags did not influence whether a message was passed on or not. The only exception, which I'm sure a lot of people will enjoy this little tidbit. um, The only exception was with named events. So hashtag Bonnie. Hashtag winter storm. Hashtag hurricane. Dorian. Um, Exactly. So that significantly, like highly significantly, like almost 100% likelihood of passing the message on during both the threat period and non-threat period there you go that's some good that's some good information wow it is and so basically this article at the very end does a really great job of offering best practices for practitioners for forecasters for anyone that's using social media in order to convey a weather message so basically what they say is that currently when we are communicating weather information and forecast products, those usually decrease during a threat period whether someone will pass a message on. So they usually don't pass on these forecast products that we actually want them to pass on. Mm 
because we yeah. want those to be in the hands of as many people as possible. So what they do is they recommend adding some of these things that we've kind of just talked about that increase the likelihood of someone passing a message along. So they recommend adding action statements or instructions, kind of like what we talked about earlier about maybe some of the copy in the Twitter message could actually highlight some actions that people could take because those are more likely mm -hmm. to be passed on. Um, yeah. But then also attaching media like pictures or photos is really great. And also including weather facts. So again, That's so crazy, yeah. so crazy. But those are some of the best practices that they offer, um, which I think were really great to highlight. Wow, can you send my, send me that research? I kind of want to send it yeah. to some colleagues. I think yeah, it's really definitely. interesting. But I think we need to get this into the hands of people that are actually creating these messages so that they can yeah. know what to do in order to increase the chances that they're passed along by people, especially during threat events. I think that's very important. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to wrap it up? Yeah, I think we're we're good to go. Alrighty, sweet. You can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype and weatherhypepodcast.com you can also find us on twitter at weatherhype both words weather and hype or you can send us a lovely email at weatherhype at gmail.com we will try to check our email more often <laughs> sometimes they're like oh oops they, they sent us an email like two three weeks ago <laughs> do people did actually I tell send us emails yeah so did i tell you that we got an email um i think i got an email from somebody from buzzfeed Oh, really? Yeah. Somebody from BuzzFeed um, wanted to uh, reach out to me about like a tweet I had about the NWS kind of thing. So he reached me on Weatherhype, the Weatherhype email. But I was like, ooh, I'm so sorry. I didn't I didn't check this one because <laughs> um, he wanted like some interview uh, pieces or soundbite or something. Oh. But yeah. Anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, if you can re leave us some reviews, we would love to hear what you think about us. So any feedback would be greatly appreciated. Um, also, I will say that I participated in an interview or kind of a panel uh, that was on a webinar with Impact 360 Alliance. So if some of you may recall, a couple episodes ago, we had Dr. Scott Miles and Dr. Joe Trainer on to talk about Impact 360 and researchers and practitioners. Um, and so I actually took part in a panel where we talked about how we're using weather hype as this medium to kind of communicate information to practitioners and relay maybe some hard things that are difficult to access, kind of like the article that we just kind of broke down for you guys. Um, so I kind of talked about that and how we're using weather hype as a great medium. So if that interests you at all, you can check it out and we'll definitely post a link on our social media about how you can get access to that. Awesome. Well, anyway, until next time. Until next time. Stay, stay hyped. hyped. This, oh my gosh, it's so tiny. I need to zoom it in. <laughs> you want me to make it bigger? No, I can just zoom in my browser. Okay. Is this me getting old? I mean, are you on a laptop or an iPad? Laptop. Oh, I guess I can see it fine, but I also have my glasses on, so. Okay. Whoa. Okay, that's very large. <laughs> Whoa. You sound like a grandpa, like using like the computer for the first time. 300% is too large. Okay. Meemaw. Meemaw, how do you hit that plus button? <laughs> okay.
Ahem. <clears throat> 